This is day 188 of our daily Bible reading. We'll be completing Matthew chapters 6 through 10. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you for this fresh morning. We thank you for bringing us here into your presence. Lord, as we enter into your word, let us see what is in this wealth of knowledge, in this divine wisdom, Lord. Help us to at least glean some of it to where it will affect our lives in such a way that we can see you more clearly and to take this more seriously. So often, Lord, we allow things in our lives to get in the way and we don't get to see what you want us to see. Help us to not be distracted when we come into your presence, Lord, knowing the severity as well as the significance of what we're doing. This word of yours is our very life. It is necessary for us as your believers. And help us to be faithful followers of you every day. Please bless the reading of this word at this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues or in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way. Our Father, who is in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, and deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face, as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast... Anoint your head and wash your face, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. 
Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness! No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. Do not worry then, saying, What shall we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way that you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your eye? You hypocrite! First take out the log in your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, for they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, 
will give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them May he be compared to a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. When Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him, and a leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing. Be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go, show yourself to the priest, and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him, and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, 
I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to this one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes, and to my slave, Do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled, and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. I say to you that many will come from east to west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, for it shall be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. When Jesus came into Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and waited on him. When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the demons with a word, and healed all who were ill. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Then a scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me, and allow the dead to bury their own dead. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered with the waves. But Jesus himself was asleep. And they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. He said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, What kind of a man is this? that even the winds and the sea obey him. When he came to the other side, into the country of the Gadarenes, two men who were demon-possessed met him as they were coming out of the tombs. They were extremely violent, that no one could pass by that way. And they cried out, saying, What business do we have with each other, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now there was a herd of many swine feeding at a distance from them. The demons began to entreat him, saying, If you are going to cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. And they came out and went into the swine. And the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, 
and perished in the waters. The herdsmen ran away and went to the city and reported everything, including what had happened to the demoniacs. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they implored him to leave their region. Getting into the boat, Jesus crossed over the sea and came to his own city. And they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, Take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes said to themselves, This fellow blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why are you thinking evil in your thoughts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, then he said to the paralytic, Get up, pick up your bed, and go home. He got up and went home. But when the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and glorified God, who had given such authority to men. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in a tax collector's booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Then the disciples of John came to him, asking, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, The attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. But no one puts a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and a worse tear results. Nor do people put new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wineskins burst, and the wine pours out, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. While he was saying these things to them, a synagogue official came and bowed down before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and began to follow him, and so did his disciples. And a woman who had been suffering a hemorrhage for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. For she was saying to herself, If I can only touch his garment, I will get well. But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, Daughter, 
Take courage. Your faith has made you well. At once the woman was made well. When Jesus came into the official's house and saw the flute players and the crowd in noisy disorder, he said, Leave, for the girl has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. But when the crowd had been sent out, he entered and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. This news spread throughout all the land. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came up to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, It shall be done to you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him throughout all that land. As they were going out, a mute, demon-possessed man was brought to him. After the demon was cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds were amazed and were saying, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees were saying, He casts out the demons by the ruler of the demons. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them, because they were distressed and dispirited, like sheep without a shepherd. For he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Jesus summoned his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now the names of the twelve disciples are these. The first, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out after instructing them, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts, or a bag for your journey, or even two coats, or sandals, or a staff. For the worker is worthy of his support. And whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it and stay at his house until you leave that city.
As you enter the house, give it your greeting. If the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. But if it is not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. Whoever does not receive you, nor heed your words, as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues, and you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next, for truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he becomes like his teacher, and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Therefore everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, 
and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Okay, a couple things before we get into it. One, I hope you notice I sound a little bit better. I have spent the entire weekend trying to recuperate, and this has been the longest time I've been down sick for a while. Besides COVID, when I get hit with COVID, it hits me hard, and I'm down for a good week. This is more like a flu, I think, and it really took it out of me for a whole week. But now I'm barely starting to feel more like myself today, and I'm glad to be back in the seat doing this. So thank you for your prayers if you were praying, and it's good to be back feeling normal-ish while I'm doing this. And the second thing I'll say is, just like I mentioned before, is I can't possibly dive deep into a lot of this because there is so much in here to talk about. It'll take me forever to go through it, and I don't even have all the right things to say. So. I'm kind of at a loss as to where to begin. So I'm just going to kind of go through the parts that really jump out at me, but there is so much to talk about here, and I'm lost as to which ones to focus on. Well, what I'm thinking is I want to focus on the things that I don't normally hear very often. Because we talk about in church the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes and stuff like that, but there's some of this here that we don't really go into very often, so I want to focus more on that. But I think the direction that I want to go is the attitude and the motivations of Christian people, because that's what we're here to do, right? We're here with equipping the saints to get your daily training as a soldier of God. So what does a soldier of God need to do? Let's focus more on that, I guess. So in chapter 6, we have a very good point that Jesus is making here, and that is, what is your motivation? What motivates you? Who are you trying to impress when you do what you do as a Christian? What kind of accolades are you trying to gain for yourself, or brownie points with either man or God are you trying to gain? So he makes very distinct points here about what we do in the sight of people and why we do those things in the sight of people are very different things. So if we are doing it to get the attention or doing it to get power or fame or wealth of some kind, then our motivations are empty in God's sight. And that's why he says, you will get your reward. You will get exactly what's coming to you. You want this materialism so bad, you'll get it but it will be substituting the holiness of God. You are choosing for yourself your true master and who you really work for. It might even be yourself that you work for, so we've got to be very careful with that. Why do you do what you do as a Christian? It should never be about you. It should never be about what you can get out of it. It's simply the service itself with a humble heart. And God usually gives those other things as a reward anyway. 
not saying that's the motivation to doing it, but it is certainly something that God does. He does reward those who do his service, not always financially, but in other ways. He does bless you abundantly if you are faithful. Now, verses 5 through 14, we have attitudes of prayer. This is a big one, because prayer is something that I think we are the weakest at overall as Christians, including myself. My prayer life needs a lot of work. I don't nearly spend enough time doing that, but I do know it's important, and I do need to spend the time to do it. But we need to be careful why we pray and how we pray. If we enjoy praying in front of people and have long-winded prayers so people could say how righteous I am, then I'm going about it the wrong way. Most importantly, meaningless repetition. When I think of that, I think of the Catholic Church. Well, if you want to forgive your sins, you want to do 20 Hail Marys, recite the rosary 40 times, blah, blah, blah. That's not what matters. It's the content of what is going on in your heart that matters to God, not the repetition. That's ritual. That's what everybody else in the world does, and that's wrong. The words are not going to save you. They never will. And then he gives the Lord's Prayer, right, in verse 9. Now, let's be clear about a couple of things. This isn't saying that you have to pray this exact prayer. Okay, What he's doing is he's showing you the aspects of the prayer that are of the utmost importance. What do you notice right off the bat? The prayer is primarily about God. It starts off with acknowledging who God is, his power, his sovereignty, his glory, his beauty, and then you ask for what you need daily. Like it says in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. So this is not something you pray once every so often. This is a daily dependence upon God. So we are appealing to God's sovereignty as well as to his character in asking for forgiveness, asking for bread, and not leading us into temptation. So very important how those are emphasized here. Now, in your Bible, you might see something like I have in mine. For example, in verse 13, you might see where it says, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. How that is in brackets. Okay? The reason those things are in brackets, and we're going to see that a few times throughout the Gospels, is that when you compare manuscripts that we have discovered throughout history, some of them do not have this piece in it. And some later copies added that piece. So if you want to be completely technical, that section is added because of it makes sense with the narrative, and it doesn't contradict anything that's in the Bible. So it's okay to be there. But most biblical scholars believe that this was not in the original writings of the author. So you want to take that for a grain of salt, what you read in here. So just be careful with that. It's not necessarily a bad thing to have this included in here because this helps the story, and it also helps the prayer by not only starting with acknowledging who God is, but ending with who God is, which makes a lot of sense. But yet you use your personal convictions, what you want to take with that. Because some people get really upset that, oh, that's not real because that was added by somebody later. Well, maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. 
but if you firmly believe that what Matthew wrote, he did not write that, so I won't believe it, that's fine. You don't have to. It's not going to hurt anything if you don't believe it. If you see brackets, that's what they're there for. So just be aware as we go further into this. Then he talks about fasting in verse 16. Fasting is not necessary, but it is helpful. If we really are looking for an answer from God on something, or if we intend to give up something so that we can focus on God and our prayer life and renew our devotion to Him, then it might be a helpful thing for you to do, but it's not required of you. Money. We should not worry about money. But instead, like we read in Malachi, we need to give freely of it. God will take care of your money if you trust him with it. Then, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, no one can serve two masters. You cannot. I've tried for my whole life to serve two masters. As a Christian, trying to obey God in all things, but at the same time, I love video games. And when I try to have both, it is exactly like it says here. I will love one and hate the other. You will not love them equally. In my case, every time I get into video games, I end up getting further away from God. Because in reality, by my choosing video games, I've chosen my master. And by doing that, I am hurting my relationship with God. And so it needs to stop. For me, it needs to stop. And for you, it could be something else. But ultimately, what you do, you need to make up your mind. Who do you serve? Who is your master? Now, beginning of verse 25, he mentions how anxiety is basically ungodly. Well, but I'm an anxious person. I worry. I'm a worrywart. Well, what God is telling you right here is that you are wrong in doing that. Now, again, everyone has their vices, right? I've already told you what mine are. But for some people, their vice is anxiety. Or you may have a psychological condition where you are an anxious person. Or you have some form of PTSD. I mean, there's a lot of things that can go wrong here. But in, mental illness is mental illness, let's be clear. But when it comes to just straight up worrying, God is saying that it's wrong to worry and to be anxious. He commands us not to be anxious. And so we need to, if that defines us, we need to stop. If that defines who we are as being anxious for no medical reason, we need to stop because God is in control. Chapter 7, he goes into judgment. Don't judge people because by the same standard you hold people, you are judging yourself. Then we have relations to prayer again, where we talk about a lot of times, kind of like what James says, is you don't have because you don't ask. And not only that, but God loves to give gifts to his kids. We are his kids if we are saved. If we are evil, which he calls us evil because we're sinners, if you can give good gifts to your kids, don't you think God could give you much greater gifts as your heavenly father? Something to think about. Maybe we should pray more often. Not for trying to get something out of God, but that is a natural byproduct. Then we have verse 12, the golden rule. Treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. So you're telling me the entire Old Testament can be compressed into one verse? Absolutely you can. Treat people the way that you want them to treat you. 
you can do that, then you're on the right track because we love ourselves very much. And if we can love other people like ourselves, wait a minute, that's what that is, isn't it? Love your neighbor as yourself. Bingo. That's exactly what that means. Treat other people the way you want to be treated. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. You can do that and love God. You have completed all of what the Bible commands you to do. It's not that simple, though, is it? That's why we need God daily. Then he goes into, which I think is a very important piece of scripture here, beginning in verse 13. We know that the gate to hell is huge, and most people are going to hell. And yet the gate to heaven is very small, and quite frankly, it says that few will find it, because we will never be shown the way. Only God can show us the way to heaven. He's made it very clear in his word, but at the same time, we know that the affection for God comes from the Holy Spirit. And if we're not saved, we won't have that affection for God. So with that in mind, we need to understand that when we go into the world, there will be people around us who are not saved. They're everywhere. And there will be people who will pretend to be Christians or pretend to be godly. And they are going to be the wolves in sheep's clothing. We are the sheep. They are the wolf. So they will be hiding among us. And we will know them by their fruits. Good trees produce good fruits. Bad trees produce bad fruits. So that should be very clear by the way they conduct themselves, the way that they love their Lord, the way that they treat other people. It'll be very clear who they stand for. Be very clear if they are truly Christians or not. Because there are so many hateful people out there that use the name of Christianity, and yet they don't act like it at all. That is contradictory behavior, and therefore that cannot be compatible with God's calling. So they shall be known by their fruits. Now there's another big one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Why does it say it twice? Well, you see in the Hebrew that whenever you use somebody's name twice, and this happened throughout all the Old Testament as well, think of like Samuel, Samuel, right? Like we're going to see later, Martha, Martha. In this case, you see Lord, Lord. Using the same name twice shows an intimacy, that this person knows that person very well. And so these people in the world are going to say, Lord, Lord, they're going to act like they are very close to their Savior. But yet they are liars. And it says that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That is scary. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. So you can claim the name of Christianity. You can be a Sunday Christian. You can say that you're a good person but have no relationship with God. So what does Jesus say? That's going to mean absolutely nothing at the end. Unless you are truly saved by the grace of God and you live like a proper Christian. Now what's even more amazing is that, like in verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons and perform miracles in your name? How if they were not even saved, were they able to perform miracles? If they were not truly the Lord's children, how are they able to cast out demons in his name? That's very interesting, isn't it? 
So we need to be careful with that because the name of Jesus is extremely powerful and it's so easily profaned in this world, is it not? I hear more often these days, more and more, it is the most common response to something distressful or as a colorful form of exclamation at the end of a sentence, like, oh my goodness, right? Or, geez, Louise. But instead, they're going to use the name of Jesus as their sentence enhancer. That is disgusting. And you see that his name is so profane, but yet his name is the name above all names. There's so much power to it that the demons shudder when they hear it. They have no choice but to be gone from it because of who God is. Not because of you, but who God is. So be very careful. Be very careful you don't fall under this category, first of all. But secondly is, for those that are falsely using the name of Christ, or are faking it throughout this whole time, they need to be known who they are. They need to be exposed. Because ultimately, a false Christian, or a wolf in sheep's clothing, will be infectious, will be like a cancer within a body of believers. They need to be rooted out and need to be removed. Be very careful with that. Do not let things like that fester in a church. As a body of believers, that person needs to be removed or they need to be corrected or rebuked or whatever. Don't just let it go. There's a right way to do it, though, and there's a wrong way to do it, just, be, just to be clear. Chapter 8 is a very good chapter to show all the different ways that Jesus has authority over everything. So we see first he has power over defilement, you know, being unclean. So he cures a leper. So this is the first time a leper has ever been cured by someone. You know, we've seen it in the Old Testament, for example. I think it was Miriam, where she had her hand stuck into her robe, and then she pulled it out, and it was a leprous hand. And then she put it back in and pulled it back out, and it was clean. I'm not sure if it was her or not, so don't quote me on that. Then we also saw Naaman go into the river, and he bathed seven times, and he got clean. But this is the first time we've seen a leper get healed in person like this. So it's obvious that he's got power over any sort of defilement a man can have. What's interesting is he says, don't tell anybody, but go and tell the priest about what you did, because I'm pretty sure this is one of the few times in Leviticus that that passage had ever been used in human history. So I can imagine that they go to the priests, and, and he's like, yeah, I just got cured of leprosy, and I'm here to give my offering. And they'll be like, what? We've never seen that before. And well, let's go look it up real quick. What do we have to do? Oh, we need this, 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 and this. Oh, okay. I mean, it should have blown their minds, because leprosy doesn't just go away on its own. So that would have been very interesting for them to deal with. Then we see that Jesus has power over distance, that time and space has no bearing on him because he's not even anywhere near this person and he's able to heal them from a distance instantaneously. So he never stopped being God by being a man. Let's be clear. And this is also, the centurion should be us because he has faith in things that he cannot see. He believes in a God that can do anything, anytime, anywhere, because he understands what kind of authority and sovereignty God has. And what's amazing is this is not an Israelite. 
This faith is coming from a Roman centurion. So that is a shame to the Israelites, isn't it? I have never seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. That's a real shame, isn't it? His own people didn't have the faith like this man had. But that's why he said in verse 11, I say to you that many will come from east to west and recline at the table of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom. So he's talking about Gentiles being added to the table of Abraham, being Christians. He's proclaiming this during his ministry, before he even died. He has power over disease because we've seen him uh, heal Peter's mother-in-law. He has power over his disciples and because they give all sorts of excuses why they can't follow him. And he's like, well, if you're not going to follow me, then go do what you need to do. He obviously has power over nature because he stilled the storm while he was on the boat. And obviously he has power over demons because he was able to cast them out effortlessly. And they knew who he was, too. They saw him and they were extremely freaking out. What business do we have with each other? Have you come to torment us before the time? This is significant, isn't it? Because that means that the demons know what's coming. They know what judgment they are going to get at the end. They know full well what they are up against. And Jesus is going to send them into pigs, and they're going to die. That's a a whole different thing to talk about. Because ultimately, they wanted to go into these pigs, most likely to avoid being sent to the abyss. And yet, they still ended up dying anyway. So very interesting. Chapter 9, we see him heal a paralytic, and he gives the Pharisees a very important question, which is easier? He can't walk. Which is easier, to tell him to walk or that your sins are forgiven? So I'm going to do both. I'm going to forgive his sins, and I'm going to tell him to walk, just so you can know that I have power over man. Then in chapter 9, about halfway through, we show that he has power over death, right? Because when he goes into the house of this man, his daughter had already died, and they're all mourning for her. And then when he comes in, he says, she's not dead. She's just asleep. They laughed at him as if this was some kind of a joke. But then he's like, get out of here. He kicks him out of the room, and then he gets the girl out of bed. So this is to explain later that there's a difference between sleep and perishing. Okay? But physical death is not an eternal death. We need to understand that. So there's eternal life, and there's eternal death after that. So you're either going up or you're going down, so to speak. So that's why it says the second death is the lake of fire, because that is permanent death. When you are a Christian and you are dead in the body, that body is asleep. It is just waiting for the time when Jesus is going to come back. That body's going to come out of the ground, and it's going to be transformed into the new glorified body that you will rejoin. So, very different understanding here. Because when he says that she's asleep, that's what he meant. And then at the very end, I think this is a very applicable piece here for us at the end of chapter 9. What does Jesus do when he sees all these people? And this is the same thing that we should be feeling too. We go out into the world, and we just see the people that are lost. When he saw the people, he felt compassion for them, because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. That is so true, isn't it? 
Nobody understands how much they need God. We don't even. But God does. That's why he says this, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Those who are true Christians, who are going to make a difference in the kingdom, are so few. And yet, those that need to hear the gospel are so many. We need to take what we do seriously as believers. Beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. That should be us. We should be the ones that go out into the field and share the gospel with someone. And the gospel is infectious if we let it be. We need to not resist the gospel. But I love also what he commands the disciples to do in chapter 10. And we don't do any of this for profit. We don't do any of this for glory of ourselves. We do it for the glory of God. And he tells us in verse 16 of chapter 10 to be like sheep among wolves, to be shrewd as serpents and yet innocent as doves. We need to forgive, but not to forget so we don't be treated like a doormat. You know, we need to see the problems that are in front of us and have good solutions for them, but not just blindly walk into problems, you know? There's a way that God wants us to be. We need to use the wisdom that he's given us. But here's a good one. Remember this when it comes to the gospel. You don't need to go to seminary to be a Christian. You don't need to even know the Bible halfway well to do well. You just need to have faith in God, and you need to start learning and depending on Him. Because this is the reality of what happens. God's plan for salvation cannot be thwarted, and it cannot be interrupted by you. If someone is intended to get saved, they will get saved one way or another, with or without you, preferably with you. Remember this, verses 9 and 20. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are going to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. So when you're in hard times or when you're going to present the gospel to somebody, it's not you who speaks. You have no power to save anyone. The Holy Spirit within you is the one that causes people to be saved. You just need to be willing to go in there and make yourself known and be willing to speak boldly in the name of Christ. But when it comes down to business, God's going to do it for you. He's going to give you the words to say. And he's going to make you successful in whatever it is he put in front of you. Just know that. He's not going to leave you hanging. He's not going to leave you to figure it out on your own, the right magic words to say to, for, to get somebody saved. It doesn't work like that. God will call his people to himself on his own. He just wants you out there working in the field. Can we do that? Can we resolve to work in the field as if the plentiful harvest was in front of us? Because it is. This is such a vast world, billions of people that need to hear the gospel. Not all of them will be saved, but we don't know who's going to be saved. That's not our business to know. Our business is to go out there and do what we're told to do. Can we do that? And I think with that, that is a good place to end it for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.